So today I want to talk about speaking in tongues. So that's going to be a fun topic, right? Speaking in tongues. Well, the reason I've wanted to go through this series that I'm titling Charismatic Confusion is because I think it's important that we as Baptists understand why we believe what we believe. Why are we Baptists? Why aren't we Methodists? Why aren't we Pentecostal holiness? Why aren't we Church of God? Why aren't we Catholic? Why aren't we Episcopalian? Why? Why are you a Baptist? And if the only answer that you have is because my mom and dad were, then you are in for a rude awakening. Because when you go out into the world, you go into work, you go and meet neighbors, and you start getting asked the hard questions, you're going to look really, really foolish in front of people. Like, wow, you're willing to give your life to something you don't even know what it's about? You expect me to believe in this Jesus and you really don't even know why you believe what you believe? Really? And I think that's why so many cults um, recruit from mainstream denominations like Baptists. Because they know that we don't know enough about what we believe to see a lie when it's put in front of us. We don't know enough about what we believe in order to discern what is of God and what is not of God. And that's problematic. That, that's a problem. And when we see our society going in the wrong direction, and we start questioning why, well, I think starting off, our churches have failed our people by not getting deep enough into the Word and focusing enough on what true biblical theology is. What does the Bible actually say about these situations, about these um, issues? What does the Bible teach about life? What does God's Word say that we should do and that we shouldn't do? If the Bible is our ultimate authority, which we here at Pole Creek believe that it is, then we should know what it says. And we should be able to apply it to our lives to understand that when we live in this world of lost people, we ought to be ready to defend the faith that God has given us. So we're going to start out in Acts chapter 2. And we're going to begin in verse 5. So if you will, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 5. And I will say that if you're here today, that you are a part of the few and the proud. If you can make it to church after a previous day of snowing, after a spring forward losing an hour of sleep, then, then you guys are the elite group. All right? You, you guys are it, I have to say. I thought I might be here by myself this morning, honestly. So if you guys will stand for the reading of God's word, we're going to start in Acts chapter 2, verse 5. And the Bible says this, Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in their own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But some sneered and said, they are drunk on new wine. Let's pray. Dear God, we are thankful for your word. And today, Lord, as we speak about the topic of speaking in tongues, Lord, we're asking that your word show us the truth about this topic, about why we as Baptists believe the way we do. 
So God, we can leave here with clarity. We can leave here with an understanding of the word, an understanding of our foundational principles that are found in your holy word. Lord, we believe that the scripture is our authority, that it is infallible, that it is perfect. And God, that every word in this scripture was spoken by you, breathed by you, and given to men of old to write down for us to have today. And God, we are thankful for this gift of your word. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. So in today's world, there are 7,151 languages spoken. That number is constantly in flux because we're learning more about the world's languages every single day. And beyond that, the languages themselves are in flux. They're living and dynamic, spoken by communities whose lives are shaped by our rapidly changing world. This is a fragile time. Roughly 40% of languages are now endangered. Did you know that a language can be endangered? Often with less than 1,000 speakers remaining. So 40% of all languages spoken now have either 1,000 or less speakers of that language, which causes them to have the title endangered. Meanwhile, just 23 languages account for more than half the world's population, and that's according to Ethnologue. Now, we are really blessed to be English speakers because English is the most widely spoken language in the world when including both native and non-native speakers. However, Mandarin Chinese is the most widely spoken language in the world when only including native speakers. So we're really blessed in that we grew up learning English. We, we, we know the ins and outs of the English language, or at least we hope we do. I think some of us are, will always be learning English, right, in our own forms of English, especially here in the mountains. But language itself is a beautiful gift from God that allows us to communicate with others. So there are really two great events that I want us to point to. As we're talking about speaking in tongues, two great events in the Bible that deal specifically with language. Okay, so the first great event concerning language was at the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. And this is important when seeing the Pentecost for a few reasons, and we're going to see that here in a minute when we talk about speaking in tongues. So in Genesis chapter 11, verse 1, I'm going to read this passage for you, and you don't have to turn there unless you just want to. This is about the Tower of Babel. The whole earth had the same language and vocabulary, verse 1. As people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make oven-fired bricks. They used brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let's build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let's make a name for ourselves, otherwise we'll be scattered throughout the earth. Then the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the humans were building the Lord said, if they have begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, it is called Babylon. For there, the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth. So today we have over 7,000 languages. You say, Ben, how did we come to a place where we have that many languages? It all started in Genesis chapter 11. Because the Bible teaches us that from creation to the point of the Tower of Babel, all people spoke the same language. They were unified in that language. Scholars uh, may argue, and it varies, but most people would say that that original language was the language of Hebrew. 
Well, the second great event concerning language is found in our text that we read today. So what we see here is that the confusion of languages found at the Tower of Babel was a judgment. So when you have a confusion of understanding, that is associated with the judgment of God upon mankind. Because did you hear what they were trying to do? They were trying to build this tower to heaven. They were trying to make a name for themselves, and they were trying to elevate themselves in history. They were trying to say, look at me and what I can do. And God came and saw that that was not good because the Bible teaches us that we should have no other gods but our God. We should want worship idols. We should not um, elevate ourselves to our own status of being a deity, but that God is our only God. He is the only one worthy of worship. So he confused their languages as an act of judgment. Now, I want you to hold that in your mind for a little while. I want you to equate confusion with judgment. Confusion equals judgment. Now let's go to the second great event concerning language, and it is found in our text today. So here we have at the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, this great congregation that is assembling in Jerusalem. The festival of Pentecost would have been practiced by the Jews every year for some 1,500 years in the past. It was a festival that was instituted by Moses in the wilderness when God gave the children of Israel the laws. So now you fast forward 1,500 years from Moses to the day of Pentecost in the first century in Acts chapter 2, and the apostles have now been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as the apostles are preaching to a crowd of mostly Jews, they began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to this great congregation. And the Jews would have been coming in from all different parts of the known world. As you heard there in the, uh, in the scripture, in verse 9, it talks about a few different ones. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs. So there was Jews from all over the known world. You say, Ben, I thought Jews were just from Israel. No, see, the Jews had been dispersed when Babylon had come and taken over Judea. And when Babylon had come and taken over Judea, they took back many of the Israelites to Babylon. Okay, this was in the time of Daniel. If you remember back in the Old Testament, Daniel was one of those Jews who was taken back. Well, the Babylonians kept the Jews there for many, many years. Many of the Jews loved Babylon. They learned about business. They learned how to deal. They learned how to do um, you know, things in currency and things like that, that many of them dispersed all over the world after that and never came back to Israel. So now, because they were Jewish, they would come back to Jerusalem from time to time to celebrate festivals so that they could offer sacrifices and be a part of their heritage. Well, that was one of these situations. So you had all these Jews from all over the world who spoke all kinds of different languages converging on Jerusalem and God gives the apostles the gift to be able to speak the languages of those who were present. Now, there were, if you read back in Acts chapter 2 and even before, it says there were some 120 people in the upper room when the Holy Spirit was given to them. So these people would have all been visited by the Holy Spirit, and there would have been many of them being able to speak the languages of those who were present. Now, I want you to see something here that is very clear in Scripture, that they were speaking known languages. Now, though the, the apostles, those who were given the gift of speaking in tongues, did not necessarily know the language they were speaking before they spoke it. That's the gift part. That's where the power of the Holy Spirit came in to give them the power to speak that language. 
But do not let the modern-day charismatic movement fool you and tell you that unknown languages are acceptable. The Bible does not actually speak of unknown languages. And we're going to go into even a little bit more depth here in a moment to look at the Greek words that the Bible uses for language. And we're going to see that the, the word language and the word tongue is actually synonymous. They both mean the same thing. So when the Bible uses the word tongue, it's talking about a language. When the Bible uses the word language, it's talking about a tongue. They're both knowable languages. Okay, if I speak to you about a knowable language, I would say English, or I would say Spanish, or I would say French, okay, or I might would mention a tribal language from Africa, but they're languages that are known, that are intelligible, that can be spoken, and that have an order to them, that have syntax and grammar and punctuation. They're actual languages. So here, what we're seeing here is that, the, that Babylon, the confusion came, and the confusion was judgment. Well, here in Acts, we see that it was the opposite of confusion. Without the gift of the apostles being able to speak these languages, there would have been confusion. But because they spoke the languages, we now have a unified effort and a unified message. So that the understandability of these languages, the ability for the people to understand the message of the gospel, was a gift. So we have confusion is judgment, all right? The ability to understand is a gift. Confusion is bad. The ability to understand is good, okay? And I want you to keep that in your mind. So these are these two major events that deal with language. Pentecost was an event where salvation fell. The Holy Spirit moved mightily. And it says in the Bible, if you keep reading here on the day of Pentecost, that some 3,000 people were added to the church that day. That the ability to understand the message was a gift that resulted in salvations. The Tower of Babel, the, the rebellion against God resulted in confusion and distress, and it was bad. All right? So my first question today, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. I want you to hold these things in your mind. What are tongues? What are tongues? And that's going to be our first point today. We're going to find that in Acts chapter 2, verses 4 through 12, as I said before. Now, we're not going to read that again, but I just want to point out a few different times where certain words are used. So if you go down to uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 3, the Bible says this. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. We go forward to verse 4. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Verse 11, the Bible says this. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. And the argument that I'm wanting to make to you is that a tongue is a knowable language. So the words used in those three verses for tongue, the Greek word is glossa. Glossa, that is a Greek word. And what it literally means is the tongue or a tongue. A tongue meaning the language used by a particular people in distinction from that of other nations. So the Greek word used here for tongue is a distinct language known by actual people. Now, in the context of speaking in tongues today is you will go into a, perhaps a church and someone may stand up and they'll start speaking this almost gibberish. It's almost like a, you know, and they'll roll their tongue and they'll do all these things. But it's not an actual language that's understandable. It's not an actual language that's knowable. Therefore, it is not in line with 
the scripture at this point. Now, this isn't the only place that we see tongues. We're going to visit more here in a moment. And we're going to see is what we see in the modern day charismatic movement, is it actually biblical? It is actually in line with what tongues were known to be in the Bible. The Bible uses another word that is a synonym of tongues called dialectos. So you have glossa and you have dialectos. Well, dialectos is used in Acts chapter 2, verses 6 and 8. If you look in verse 6, the Bible says this, When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. His own language. Verse 8, How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? So it seems that most of your, most of your versions of the Bible are going to translate glossa as tongue and dialectos as language. However, if you have a King James Version, you're going to find that the King James Version actually translates dialectos as tongue in several places. We go on a little bit further and we start to see, well, where else is, are these words used in Scripture? And how can we compare other places where these words are used? And if they are used in other places in Scripture, are they talking about an unknown tongue? That's just gibberish, or are they actually talking about an actual language? Well, in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, we find the use of some of these words. It says this in uh, Revelation 5, 9, And they sang a new song, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slaughtered. And you purchased people for God by your blood, from every tribe and language and people and nation. Well, here we have the word language used again. In some of your Bible translations, it uses the word tongue there, depending on your translation. Well, the actual Greek word used there is glossa. Well, if we go back to Acts, we find that glossa is the same word translated as tongue in my translation of the Bible and many of yours as well. So here what we're finding is, is that glossa and dialectos are interchangeable. Both mean noble languages in the original manuscripts, both are for particular languages known by particular people. If it were not so, you would have a consistency between both that would not denote an actual language. I mean, from every tribe and language and people and nation. Just the contact text of there by itself would say that particular people of particular tribes, particular people of particular nations speak particular knowable languages. And really, you cannot have a society without a knowable language. You can't have a nation without an ability to communicate. If everyone spoke different languages, then you would, of course, have mass confusion, just like at the Tower of Babel. So the point I'm making is this. The word tongue in the Bible is synonymous with the word language. Okay? So the second thing that I want us to look at, what exactly happened in Acts 2? So we've already substantiated that tongues are known languages. Secondly, what actually happened in Acts 2, because that's going to help us determine what the gift of tongues, if it still exists, should look like today. So as I was saying before, the day of Pentecost, Peter was preaching to this mass congregation of Jews who had lived in other places. They had converged on Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost, and many of these Jews who had been carried away in the Babylonian captivity of 586 B.C. had never resettled back in Israel. They would have all come back for those particular festivals. And for that reason, many of them spoke 
other tongues and languages. Acts 2 is the account of a great multilingual Jewish group. So you're looking out there, and Peter would have been looking out, and he would have seen people speaking in Arab, and people speaking um, Hebrew, and people speaking Arab languages, and people speaking European languages, and people speaking all these different dialects, Asian languages. And, and, and what would have happened if it had been one of us that said, oh no, how am I going to communicate with all these people? How am I going to communicate the gospel to people that I can't even begin to communicate with? And then the Holy Spirit bestowed on them the gift to be able to speak in their own languages. So a few different things could have actually happened, okay? Some, they could have been speaking the same language. Perhaps they were all still speaking. I'm talking about the apostles and those with the gift of tongues. Perhaps they were speaking still in their own native language, but yet the people were hearing it in their own language. Or perhaps there was at least one person in the group who could speak a language that was needed to be heard, heard by the group. So maybe the, uh, Peter was speaking in this language, and John was speaking in this language, and, and Thomas was speaking in this language, and God had worked it out to where each person was speaking in a language that needed to be heard by those who were present. We really don't know, honestly, but it could have been some of those different ideas and some of those different things. The gift of tongues, though, seems to be that those speaking were either speaking in a language they did not know, or at least they were heard in a language they did not know. And that's what it seems to be here in Acts. Now, Acts chapter 2, verse 20, we start to have a little bit of an insight about the purpose of speaking in tongues. Why was speaking in tongues given as a gift from God? Well, in Acts chapter 2, verse 20, the Bible says this, Brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants in regard to evil and adult in your thinking. It is written in the law, I will speak to this people, being the Jews, by people of other tongues and by the lips of foreigners. And even then, they will not listen to me. Now, this is a prophecy, and it's talking about the Jewish people specifically. Verse 22, speaking in tongues then is intended as a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for believers. Did you hear that? We just had... We, we just had given to us in Scripture the intention of what speaking in tongues is really all about. It is a sign for the Jews. It is a sign for those who are seeking a sign so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can be authenticated. In other words, they did not have a completed canon of the Bible like you and I have. They did not have scripture references in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st and 2nd 3rd John to reference back to as they were preaching the gospel because this had not unfolded yet. So God gave them the ability to speak in tongues, the gift of speaking in tongues, in order to wow them, in order to put them in a place of awe so that they say, yes, this is true. Yes, the gospel is true. And yes, I believe in Jesus as my Savior. But did you hear what the Jews actually did? It says that many of them would not listen Many of them still rejected Jesus, but thankfully on that day, some 3,000 were saved. We go a little bit further. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, the Bible says this. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, talking to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Now the Pharisees were the Jewish elite. They were the religious elite. They were the keepers of the law. And they tell Jesus, Jesus, listen, you're a great guy. 
We hear about all this cool stuff you're doing, but for, in order for us to believe that you're really the Son of God, show us a sign. The Bible teaches us that the Jews seek after signs. Here's what they said. Jesus, I'm sorry, this is what Jesus said to them. An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, the Bible says this, For the Jews ask for signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. There's, are we starting to see a commonality now about the sign gift of speaking in tongues? Why? Why was it instituted? Why was it given at the day of Pentecost? It was given for a sign to those who did not believe. It was given as a sign to Jews who sought for a sign, who needed the gospel to be authenticated in order for them to believe. So my last question, where does the gift of tongues fit today? Where does the gift of tongues fit today? We now have established what tongues are. They were actual languages. We verified that by the original Greek words used in Scripture. We understand that in Acts chapter 2, it was a congregation of Jews. It was given as a sign for the unbelieving Jews who were present that day. So where do they fit in today? Well, if you will, go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And we're going to begin in verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning in verse 6. beginning in verse 6, the Bible says this. So now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you with a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Even lifeless instruments that produce sounds, whether flute or harp, if they don't make a distinction in the notes, how will what is played on the flute or harp be recognized? In fact, if the bugle makes an unclear sound... Who will prepare for battle? In the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how will what is spoken be known? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world. None, you hear that, is without meaning. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me, so also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. So where does tongues fit today? The Bible never explicitly says that the gift of tongues has ceased. However, evidence throughout the remainder of Scripture shows that it actually has. When we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, just in the chapter before, it says, love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. And what it's talking about is those gifts that were given during the apostolic age. So we don't know when they necessarily are going to cease, but we do know there will come a point when they will. And I believe that the scripture gives evidence that they already have ceased. Paul seems to throw great amounts of caution at speaking in tongues. I mean, did you hear what he said there in verse 6? He's talking about how a language is not profitable for the upbuilding of the church if it can't be understood. It would almost be like someone coming in here and standing in the pulpit and preaching to you in Swahili. 
there'd be mass confusion. No matter how bad I wanted you to hear the gospel, as long as I preach the gospel in Swahili, you're not going to get it. And it's not going to uplift the church. All you're going to say is, wow, Ben is speaking in some cool language. And it's going to edify Ben, but it's not going to edify the church. It's not going to benefit the church. It's not going to uplift the kingdom of God. So let's look at what the text says speaking in tongues actually is. First of all, it was a coherent language. Verses 9 through 12 teach us that in what we just read, that it was intelligible speech, it was an actual language that is known, and it was compared to musical notes. If I get up here, and you don't want me to do this, but if I got up here and I grabbed Daniel's guitar, hey, I could play the guitar. I mean, I could sit up here and strum. I could even wear a, heart like, a hat like Garth Brooks, and I have my, my cowboy boots already on, and I could strum that thing, but I promise you it would not be intelligible. It would not be, the notes would not be recognizable. They would not be pleasing to the ears in any way. In the same way a language is. As I'm speaking to you in English, it's making sense to you, I hope, and you're able to understand what I'm saying because we have that communication. Just like at the day of Pentecost, the blessing was the ability to communicate. The curse is confusion. Now, if I come in here and I speak to you in an unknown tongue, I am breeding confusion. Remember what I said about confusion? It's a curse. Confusion was judgment on the t- at the Tower of Babel, not a blessing. So for me to come in here and speak unknown tongues to you and act like this is an act and a great thing of God, it's actually a curse. It's actually a diversion of the ability to speak the truth of God's word to you and to your heart to where you can take it at home and use it in your everyday life. The gift is the intelligible part. The gift is when you can understand the gospel. The gift is when you can take it to heart and use it. It was a coherent language. Secondly, there was always an interpreter. We see that beginning in verse 5 of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It says this, I wish all of you spoke in tongues, but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. In other words, if I go into a Spanish-speaking church and I begin to preach in English and they all look at me like I'm crazy, it's doing them no good unless I have an interpreter standing beside of me who can interpret what I'm saying to those Spanish speakers. It is important to have an interpreter. Verse 13 also says this, Therefore, the person who speaks in a tongue should pray that he can interpret. Verse 27 The Bible says this, If anyone speaks in a tongue, there are to be only one or two at the most, three, each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no interpreter, that person is to keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God. It was a coherent language, and there was an interpreter. Okay, Now, we're looking at the standard. What are the qualifications for biblical tongues today? They must be a coherent language, and there must be an interpreter, and lastly... It is only to be used to win the lost. Remember what we said? It is a sign for unbelievers, not for believers. Verse 22 even says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where the Bible says this, Speaking in tongues then is intended as a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. So as we are gathering in the church of Jesus Christ today, My assumption is that most of you are born again. Most of you are saved. Now, what 1 Corinthians here is saying is, is that now if someone stands up and speaks in an unknown language, in an unknown tongue, 
and they began to, to rattle off these sounds and these noises, first of all, the believers here are not going to be edified because they have no idea what you're saying. Second of all, if a lost person is here and they perhaps speak a different language, your unknown tongue is still not going to lift them up because they still can't understand it. And actually, 1 Corinthians here says that if an unbeliever comes in and there's mass confusion, everybody's speaking in their own unknown tongues, they're going to say, man, these people are crazy. I'm getting out of here. And guess what? You put them back on the street as a lost person and you still lost them. So what I'm trying to say here is that for the benefit of the kingdom, the benefit of the Great Commission, I'm not going to tell you flat out that tongues no longer, the gift of tongues is no longer happening. But I will say this. It appears based upon the evidence of Scripture, once you leave 1 Corinthians, which is one of the earliest church letters written in the New Testament, you don't see tongues again. From here to Revelation, the Bible does not mention it again. Today, when we send out a missionary, and let's say Jonathan uh, Wagner in, in Albania, one of the first things Jonathan did and Alan Susan can testify to this, one of the first things that happened to him was he got in language school. He started learning the Albanian language because he understood how important it was you can't be a missionary unless you can communicate with those you're trying to win. So he went to Albanian uh, language school. Why? Well, if the gift of tongues is still being used and still prevalent, why did he need to go to language school? Because he could have gone over there and said, God, give me the gift of tongues. And he could have had the gift and he could have been able to preach the Albanians by the sign gift and the power of the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't happen, does it? You don't see that anymore. So based upon the evidence of what we see and how God is moving and working, the the apostolic age, the first century, when Peter and John and those men who lived with Jesus and served with Jesus for three years, they had the gift and they were going about preaching the gospel and the ability to preach to people in their own languages. They had that ability in many cases. But once that age and that period has ceased and has gone by, once we had the complete canon of Scripture, now we can hold the full Bible in our hands, we don't see it happening anymore. Now, you may get an occasional missionary who will say, X, Y, Z happened. And I'm not going to say, no, sir, that didn't happen because I wasn't there. But I will question it because it is not common And in any case, if it is still happening, it would be very rare. But it would only happen in the context of me speaking to people who do not understand my language who are lost. If someone at Pole Creek stands up and says, Ben, I've got a word from the Lord, and I don't know. Okay? Say, Ben, what are you going to do? Ma'am, you need to sit down. Sir, you need to sit down. You're interrupting the service, and this is not edifying the church of Christ, and we would set them down, okay? And you say, Ben, why? Because of what the Bible says. Because we're a church on mission to see lost souls saved, and we don't want to incorporate anything into what we do and who we are that is going to turn a lost person away without telling them the truth. They need to be communicated the truth in intelligible speech. That's why we believe what we believe So this is my last sermon in this series, The Charismatic Confusion. We've talked about biblical prophecy, we've talked about biblical healing, and now we've talked about speaking in tongues. And I hope that maybe it's helped you a little bit to understand where we as Baptists stand. Now, we can have fellowship with our charismatic brothers and sisters. There's a lot of good folks out there, and they know Jesus, but we can't go to church with them. 
because it would be very confusing. It would be very difficult, okay? I'm not going to judge them, but based upon Scripture, we are not going to allow that here at Pole Creek, okay? So we can, be, we can be unified on that, we can understand that, and we can hit that from a biblical perspective. So as we wind up, I just want to um, ask you this morning, okay? God brought you here for a reason. And again, like I said, you guys are the few and the proud. You're like the United States Marine Corps. You are the few and the proud. And not many would have ventured out to come to God's house this morning. But I'm glad to see the crowd that we've got here. Um, and those of you watching on live stream as well, thank y'all for that. So this morning, I'm not going to be so naive as to think everyone here knows Jesus. Maybe one of you don't know Christ today. And we are a gospel preaching church. We believe that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose from the dead. And we believe that he did that to pay the penalty for our sins in order to ensure for us a place in heaven. Jesus literally took our wrath upon his own body on the cross. Maybe you've never said, Jesus, I'm yours. Jesus, forgive me for my sins. The Bible says that to be saved, you must repent for your, of your sins and believe that Jesus is who he said he was. Repentance is turning from your sin and to the Lord Jesus. God, I no longer want to be the king and the God of my own life. I want you to be my God. I want you to be my king. Will you save me today? based upon your death, burial, and resurrection. And today, you can do that where you're sitting. You can just say, Jesus, I trust you. Forgive me and save me. You can come up here for counsel from one of our pastors. Maybe you know Jesus, and maybe you're going through a very difficult time in your life. Maybe you're struggling through some things. Maybe there's some physical sickness in your family. Maybe there's some spiritual darkness going on in your family. Maybe you're having issues with your job. Maybe you're having uh, huge decisions that you're having to make. I want you to know that we're here to pray for you. We love you and we care about you. And ultimately, we want God to move in your life so that you can be in the center of his will. Let's pray.